G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have come across many different definitions of marriage. For example, someone once said that marriage is not finding the person you can live with, but finding that person you cannot live without. Well, that's beautiful. Another definition of marriage I heard is that it's like two porcupines living in Alaska. When the heavy snow falls, they become cold and they draw close together. But then they begin to prick one another with their quills and so they draw apart. Then, because they're cold again, they have to learn to keep warm together in a way that they don't hurt each other. Of course, for some, marriage is all too hard. They want out. As one man put it, when I got married, I was looking for an ideal. Then it became an ordeal. Now I want a new deal. But as many discover, marriage problems are not resolved by changing one partner for another. Without a doubt, one of the reasons that marriages get into trouble is because couples have never taken the time to understand what marriage is meant to look like or how it is supposed to operate in the first place. In Christ's relationship with the church, we have the perfect picture of marriage. The Bible indicates that we will never understand marriage until we understand Christ's relationship to the church. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. And we're touching on a subject that is in dire need of some good wisdom this week, and that is marriage. And Ken, you made a very interesting observation there about marriage, uh, especially about the porcupines. What is it supposed to look like? Who do we look to in order to know what marriage actually is, what it should resemble? Good question. And I thought we'd actually take some time today, Phil, trying to define marriage biblically. Probably the first thing we need to note about marriage is that it is an institution of God. It's a God idea, not a good idea. You know, one of the reasons that marriage is under attack today is because people seem to have the idea that it originated with man. Of course, if it was instituted by man as a convenience, then it can be dissolved by man as an inconvenience. Mm. But of course, it was instituted by God, not man. In fact, it was the first thing that God instituted. It predates the institution of the church. Uh, the nation, and even the giving of the law. So when you consider it, Phil, since it's the first institution of society, then it's really the foundation of society. Mm, yet so many marriages are in trouble. They're falling apart all around us. You know, Without wanting to become negative, it seems that so many marriages are, are ending in divorce, but not just that, but in bitterness and, uh, and fights uh, and people not talking to each other anymore. Why is it so hard? Yeah, marriage is hard. Actually, that reminds me of a saying I heard recently, life is tough. And the response to that is, in comparison to what? (laughs) That's the alternative, you know. And it's true that, you know, marriage is not easy, uh, yet God said it's good. It doesn't have to be easy to be good. Uh, Some of our listeners right now might be facing challenges in their marriage, and they might question that statement that it's good, you know. But God says it's good, even when we can't see that. Mm. In fact, you look at uh, Adam. Uh, He didn't get it right from the word go. I mean, God saw that it was good, but Adam didn't. Adam was quite happy. He wasn't even thinking marriage, you know. And so when God said it's not good for man to be alone, instead of creating Eve, the next thing he did was to bring the animals to him to be named. And I guess, you know, after a while, Adam was getting the picture. They're all coming in pairs. (laughs) Then he said, well, where's mine? You know, where's my partner? So he was getting it that uh, it's not good to be alone. 
and he saw his own need. Now, I say it's good for this reason. It's good spiritually because apart from the Word of God, it's probably the most sanctifying instrument in our lives. See, we were created uh, in divine love, and divine love always reaches out to others. That's what God does. He's always reaching out beyond himself to others. That's divine love. But, of course, when we fell in sin in the garden, we come under the power of self-love. I put it this way. It's like um, a flower that is open in full bloom. That's divine love, reaching out to the world. But a flower that's closed up in bud, it's, it's holding itself tight together. That's like man under self-love. Mm, now, of course, you know, when we get saved, we come under what we call agape love, which again is, is man reaching out to others, reaching out beyond himself. And Phil, I believe that the greatest thing that you and I can have is someone else to care for in our lives. And, and marriage, of course, is learning how to serve one another in love. Mm. It's, uh, it's pretty deep when you think it through. Marriage is the institution for society. Without marriage, society really can't function well. It's also good for us individually because it helps us to love and care for another human being. Give us some more understanding, though, Ken, because these are all good things to, to talk about, but how do we really wrap our head around it? Okay, well, here's another thing that I think is very important about marriage, and, and that is that it is a covenant of companionship. Now, just take those two words, Phil, covenant of companionship. There's a couple of verses where they appear together in the context of marriage. Mm. For example, in the book of Proverbs, when, uh, you know, those first chapters that speak about the immoral woman and so on, it says, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So those two words together, it's a covenant of companionship. And then in the book of Malachi, right at the end of the Old Testament, uh, God has it out with the priest there. And he says, uh, the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So there we have it again. It's a, it's a covenant of companionship. In marriage, we make a promise to one another, and it's this, you will never be lonely as long as I live. Mm, that's a good vow. I like that. You'll never be lonely as long as I live. It's interesting that both those verses that you, you talked about include the word covenant in the context of yeah. marriage. Some argue that marriage is actually not biblically a legal contract, that it's a civil thing. It's it's not really a covenant. What do you say to that? Look, I've heard that discussion, and, and it's a very, very interesting discussion. But I think that the fact remains that whether it is a civil-based agreement or a biblically recognized contract, the fact is that those that get married, I'm speaking especially about Christians, usually make vows to each other, which they make before God mm. and which they make before witnesses. If that's not a covenant, I don't know what is, you know. Now, I'm not saying this, of course, to bring anyone under condemnation uh, if their marriage has ended in divorce. And, and, you know, a lot of marriages are broken up today. Mm. And uh, the fact is that, you know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No no Christian should feel under condemnation if they've gone through a broken marriage. You know, the grace of God is always redeeming, it's always redemptive, and it always is restorative. And I'm sure that many who have gone through the pain of divorce have experienced that today. But it is an agreement. It's an agreement that we make to one another, and it's an agreement that we make before God. Isn't a covenant much deeper thing than an agreement, though? It is, actually. It's, it's a much deeper... In fact, if you get into the meaning of the words here, Phil, I mean, um, we've got two words that mean different things. The words are will and testament. Now, a will is something that we make uh, regarding what's going to happen when someone's dead. 
mm-hmm. died, you know. Yep. Uh, as the saying goes, you know, where there's a will, there's a relative. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. you often hear those words together, it's someone's last will and, and testament. testament. So, That's right. Okay, yeah. So what's the testament side? So, the, um, okay, well, the will and testament, those, those things are the same thing. Okay. So what I meant to say is the word... Testament and covenant are different things because a covenant is an agreement between two living persons, right? Okay. So, you know, a, a will is concerning someone who has died and bequeathed something. They're sorting out the estate. Yep. But a covenant is an agreement between two living things. Now, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, those words were actually synonymous. And, and that's a beautiful thing because when you think about it, when we become Christians, we actually are baptized into Christ. So we've died to self, okay? But then, you know, we've raised again a new creation. Now, it's like that in marriage. When you come to marriage, you really die to the right to live as an independent person, mm. to live as an individual, to make well, decisions well, we, just for yourself. We should, at least. We should. <laughs> That's the challenge. That's the challenge. But, of course, you're alive to the marriage. It's a whole different life now. You know, we're one flesh. We, we have a shared life together in this marriage relationship. Now, getting back to this covenant thing, Phil, I think this is a very important thing because I, I chuckle to myself as I, you know, conduct weddings and I, I've done a number of them in my time. And, you know, they're, they're vowing for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you know, sickness and in health. Yeah, everything I have is all yours, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of feel like at times just interrupt and say, do you realize what you're saying here? Yeah. Like this is what you're vowing to one another. Yeah. And here's the, here's the point uh, is that we can come under the power of law which in the end becomes self-defeating. If we think we are going to do this in the power of our strength, we're doomed to failure. We must recognize that as Christians, we live in the grace of God and God's grace is his ability in the place of our inability. We can't do those things that we're promising and vowing to, but by his grace, we can live in in, in the, the fullness of all that we're saying we intend to do in our marriage relationship. practical discussion today on the subject of marriage and there's more to come tomorrow hope you can join us until then remember you don't have to carry that baggage god wants you to be set free for books dvds small group studies and other resources from ken leg including the book against all odds which features topics from today's message visit the vision christian store at vision.org.au that's vision.org.au